0: But yeah, I am, as, as Dave said, I'm the RUF campus minister at Jacksonville State University right down the road. Um, some of y'all know what RUF is. Some of y'all did RUF in college. For those of you who are not aware, the best explanation I think I've heard for it was from a campus minister who's in Nashville. And he said that RUF is the food truck of the local church that we are not the local church. I am an ordained pastor uh, in the PCA, and so I did all the stuff that Dave had to do to to get ordained, but I am not not a pastor of a church. I don't have a church that I pastor. I am sent as an evangelist to the college campus, and RUF does worship services like we meet and we sing songs, and it looks a lot like church. We have Bible studies and small groups and stuff like that. But the goal is not to build RUF. The goal is for us to send them out and build the local church. What we want to do, like a good food truck would do, is it doesn't have everything on the menu. You know, we can't do everything that a church does, but it gives you the greatest hits. The stuff that makes you long to get into... The restaurant, the restaurant itself it long it makes you long to get plugged in and serving in the church and and even this church has has benefited from people who learned how to serve the local church uh, in college and have been faithfully serving uh, as members uh, as members here and, and all over the place. Um, so that's what I do. It's been a good semester so far. It's been a crazy semester. It feels like students are trying to make up for lost time. Uh, with COVID and things like that and we're still getting rebuilt from the tornado because as we're rebuilding from that uh, you know we had to shut down for COVID purposes and it finally feels like we're starting to be almost in something that might closely resemble some semblance of normal you know Uh, it's it's been a weird four years but we're we're happy to be down there and we're thankful for y'all, for the church itself, and for the individuals in this church who support that ministry, partner with us so that we can, we can bring the gospel to Jacksonville State, a place that, you know, really needs it, just like Fort, Fort Payne, Alabama, just like, just like everywhere. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Revelation 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter. Revelation 4, verses one through 11 and y'all are i know y'all are going through the gospel of john but we're taking a break from the gospel of john to jump ahead a little bit and see the revelation of john and it's easy to get confused about this but the point of the revelation of john is to talk about the exact same thing that the gospel of john talks about is who jesus is and what is the gospel, and how he saves us, and how glorious he is, that it's all the same subject matter. It's just told in a different way. Um, so yeah, the, the, the book of Revelation chapter 4. Before we read, just to give you a background, uh, John is on the island of Patmos. So he is exiled on a desert island because of his commitment to the gospel. And while he's there, he sees a vision of the risen Jesus, powerful and glorious and magnificent, standing in the midst of the churches, ruling over his churches, when all that he can see in reality is that he's in a cave and the churches are struggling, and it doesn't seem like they can come close to standing up to the power of Rome that they see all around them. But what, what God is doing in the book of Revelation is pulling the curtain back so that John can see what's actually going on so so jesus through john sends messages throughout the to all the seven churches that that kind of represent all of the churches but are specific churches with specific problems as well um and then chapter three the last of the seven letters is read and then we enter into Kind of the weird part of Revelation, you know, into the weirder stuff. And this is the first picture that we have. It's a heavenly throne room scene. And we're going to look at that, talk about that. We were driving home from visiting family yesterday in Birmingham. And along the interstate, uh, we saw, I saw the, a movie theater And it was packed out with cars and like now post-COVID everybody has used their extra hours away maybe to go and see a movie Uh, or there are people who are taking advantage of their extra daylight saving time hour by just cuddling up in their bed wearing sweat clothes being all warm and cozy but you and I are here we're, we're here in this place. Like, we got up early when we didn't have to. We could have stayed at home. And we came here to this place to deal with maybe people that we don't like too much. Um, you know, the, the music here is great. I should probably not talk about this church. I should talk about another other churches that I've been to. The music here is great, but it's not as good as a dad company concert I have heard. <laughs> you know you don't you may not be familiar with all of the songs you know in in the same way um you you sit and you listen to a person ramble for 30 plus minutes and occasionally they might stumble over something that might be slightly relevant to your life we do this every week we wrestle with our kids in the morning to get them ready so they'll get out the door We we give money to this place and and it's, it's good to step by, back and say, why am I doing this? There are more and more people who are kind of leaving the church because they've stepped back and they've asked, why am I doing this? And they can't come up with a good reason. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the good reason why we do this. What are we doing when we worship? Why do we worship? Um, The book of Revelation, as strange and bizarre as it might be at times, is really a book about worship wars and not traditional versus contemporary. It is, do you worship the beast, the ruler of this world, or do you worship the lamb who is slain? That is what Revelation is about. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let me read this passage for us. I will pray, and then we'll talk about it. Revelation 4, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this at once i was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads from the thrones came the flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before, and before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. Let's pray. Father, this, this passage, reading this passage at times is beautiful and at times is bizarre and confusing. And, and, it, and we look at it and we wonder, how does this connect to our everyday life? But you gave this vision to John. You recorded these words in your words specifically for that reason because it has everything to do with our day-to-day lives. I pray that as we gather together in this body of believers and we sing these songs and we listen to your word and we are drawn to you and pointed to you, that you would remind us while we do this. You would remind us how important an act this is that we do every Sunday. Be with us as we look at your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk about three things. First, that worship is the real reality. Second, that worship is unceasing. And third, that worship changes our priorities. Um, So first, worship is the real reality. We open with this scene of, of heavenly worship. And this is easy to think. It is easy to think when we look at this that this is a long time in the future in a galaxy far, far away, you know, that, that, it, that this is something that's going on in heaven someplace, wherever that is, um, but it's not, it's not here. N.T. Wright, the theologian N.T. Wright says, heaven, God's sphere of reality, is right here close behind us, intersecting with our ordinary reality. It's not so much like a door opening high in the sky, far away. It is more like a door opening right in front of us, where we could, before we could only see this room, this field, this street. Suddenly, there is an opening leading into a different world and an invitation to come up and see what's going on. That's, that's what he says is really going on. This is not something that's very far away. He says, this is an unseen reality that's, that's around it, around us. It's almost like this alternate dimension that's, that's around us all the time, beyond what we can see and hear and feel and taste and touch. This is not something that's far away. This is not something that's in the distant future. Wright continues, he says, this is not a vision of the ultimate heaven, seen as the final resting place of God's people, it is rather the admission of John in heaven as it is at this very moment. That this is what is going on now, that that's what John sees. Heaven is near us, it is a present reality. It's all around us if we only had eyes to see it. Um, Courtney and I have noticed, and maybe y'all have too, that with each passing year, Halloween is becoming a more and more important holiday season. That is becoming a bigger and bigger holiday season that, that people are decorating their houses more often, that that you know, stores are being overtaken with it. And kind of my Christian kid being raised in the nineties with James Dobson and stuff, that's it's because it's demon worship, you know? It's demons, it's bad, right? It's the devil's holiday. And the cynic in me I look at that and I'm like, well, it's, it's just companies trying to make money uh, before the Christmas season. They're just trying to build this up so they can sell you more stuff. But I think what is actually going on, I, I read something similar in a book, is that um, especially among younger people, you know, like we're thinking my age and, and people in college, um, in that kind of area, they're the ones who seem to be the most into Halloween the ones who seem most excited about it. And, and what this person pointed out is that the month of October, the ha- Halloween season, is a, is a chance for younger people to live in an enchanted world. That all the time they are told that reality is only what you can smell, taste, touch, measure in a lab, see. You know, that's, that's all that exists. We're in a very closed universe. There's nothing beyond what we can see with our visible, with our with our physical eyes, um, and there's nothing beyond this life that you only live once. This is the only opportunity. All you have is the present moment. But we all ache for there to be something more. We all ache. For the, we, we know that that's insufficient to explain the things that we experience on a day-to-day basis. And we all ache for something otherworldly, for something beyond what our eyes can see. And I think that Halloween is a broken way of trying to to do that that's why younger people are so into it is because they want to live in a magical enchanted world where there's things going on that they don't understand or see but jesus allows john to see the unseen that's exactly what jesus is doing he he sees this indescribable beauty and splendor and glory and you can see john grasping at words and parallels. You see him talking about gems and rubies and rainbows and thrones and crowns and thunder and lightning and fire and crystal waters and all these different things. He's trying to put words on something that we just have no parallel for in in our universe that there is something greater and vaster and more solid, more real, that Jesus ushers John into to catch a glimpse, a glimpse of and report back. And that's what's going on on a Sunday morning. Corporate, earthly worship is entering into this enchanted, otherworldly real reality and reminding ourselves, getting together, reminding ourselves that it is the creator and the ruler of all, of us all. He, he is the source of all beauty. He holds all time in his hands, and he is not far from us, and that he is the truest reality that we experience, that what we do on a Sunday morning is participating in something that's real even more real than our Monday morning jobs and things like that and that's not to say that that actually gives us more vigor and more energy to do those Monday morning jobs when we know the ultimate purpose and the ultimate destination and the ultimate reality that's happening right now that we just can't see that we are participating in when we sing we are joining the voices of saints and angels throughout history around the globe, worshiping the one who created all things. Worship is the real reality. Second, worship is unceasing. The last letter, the letter to the Laodiceans, ends right before this with a really familiar passage. Uh, Revelation 3.20, Behold, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing outside of a closed door. He's calling to the Laodiceans to repent, to turn from their, their ways of, of relying on materialism and the things that they have and thinking that they're sufficient in themselves, that he is calling them to realize that he's the only one who can provide for them. He's the only one who can care for them. He's knocking on the door, standing on, on the outside. And depending on how you look at this, Jesus can kind of seem lonely and sad and you kind of feel bad for him and everything. But just a few verses later, we see another door, right? That And this is, in verse one, this is a door that is standing wide open. And it is a door into this other reality and jesus is on the throne beckoning john to enter into it to enter into this majestic beauty it is a, a really different picture that the one who is standing on the door of our hearts and knocking is also the one who flings the door wide open and invites us in to worship at this very moment, John is wasting away on a desert island in exile. At the very moment that that is happening, Jesus is unceasingly worshipped by all of creation. No one is left out. Like what is, what's going on with these, these weird creatures, right? These four living creatures: the first, the creature like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third, like the face of a man. The fourth, like an eagle in flight, and they're covered with eyeballs on the outside and on the inside. This is not the angel that you see in your grandmama's living room, right, on the painting. This is not a painting that you would give to your pastor for him to put up in his, in his, uh, in his office. This is, this is weird. Like, wh- what's going on here? These four creatures represent... All of the universe, right? You have land animals, you have you have uh, uh, humans, you have uh, an eagle flying in the sky, and they're covered with eyes that they're constantly vigilant. They never sleep. They're looking around. They're constantly, unceasingly praising. So we have all of creation worshiping Jesus, and then we have the twenty-four elders. All commentators agree basically that these twenty-four elders represent. The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. The, the leaders of uh, Israelite history, the Old Testament church, and the leaders of the New Testament church, right? Um, that, that all of creation and the animals, pictured in the animals, all of redemption, all of the people that Jesus saves and set up, sets apart for himself, everybody is participating in this worship scene. Nobody is left out. And this is unceasing. What does it say in 4, verse 8? It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, all full of eyes, all around, within, uh, and day and night, they never cease to say, never cease to say, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They are never ceasing to to enter into praise, that they are calling to one another and echoing it as a song that just never ends and it is going on and on and on because they're so, not because they have to, but because they are so overwhelmed with this vision of glory and the power and the grace and mercy of the one that is seated on the throne. And, and then you look at the 24 elders and every time that they hear these words, which according to verse 8, is all the time. Every time they hear these words, they stand up out of their thrones, they take off their crowns, and they throw them at the feet, and they fall down on their face, and they worship, and they join in the song, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Consider that. At all times throughout our day, at all times, whatever we're doing, at all times, whatever we're going through, whether it is good or bad, God is being praised. God is being worshiped for his goodness as creator and redeemer. All the time, whatever you're facing in those darkest times, in those most difficult times of your life, to know that Jesus is being worshiped right now. That that, that, is, that is the only thing on their mind when they are standing before him. They have no room in their, in their bodies, and their minds for anything else except to be consumed in worship for him. That that is happening right now and that that jesus loves us that he cares for us that he is ordering the things in our lives for our good so when jesus invites john into this heavenly scene he does not do so because no one else is there he doesn't do so because he's sad and because he's lonely he's not knocking on the doors of our hearts because he's he's like i'm cold out here why don't you let me in you know He does it because it is for our good. When we show up on a Sunday morning, we're not showing up on a Sunday morning because if we don't do it, no one else will. We're doing it for our good. He is the one, like we read a call to worship at the beginning, He's the one calling us in and saying, I want you to be able to participate in this beautiful, wonderful thing. I don't need anything from you at all but I want to give you everything. I want to give you all things, that that's what's going on right now, right now, not just when John was writing that, right now, right now this is going on. So worship is the real reality, worship is unceasing. And then the last thing, worship changes our priorities. What do we see these elders doing? They're throwing down their crowns, right? That they are, they are giving everything over to the one who is glorious and praiseworthy beyond anything that we could imagine. Now, imagine what these elders probably look like. We would all be repulsive ogres in front of these people, right? Have you ever been around somebody who's so attractive, like you almost can't even look at them? That you just feel, like, you just feel all of your ugliness and your imperfection. This, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't even come close to what's going on here. That if we were to see one of these people, the least glorious of these 24 elders, if, if he was to stand before us, we would fall on our, on our faces and be like, this is God, I'm seeing God, I'm about to die. That happens all the time in the Bible, right? But even those glorious 24 elders are standing before the throne, not calling any glory to themselves, but looking at Jesus, who is beyond description, that these elders who we would look repulsive in front of are captivated by an even greater beauty That this is the glorious God who longs to be with his people. He gives these elders crowns and thrones and they lay it down before him. And then let's think for a second. Who are these elders? We've already said that they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. Think about the 12 fathers of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the the 12 sons of Jacob, the ones who told Joseph in their jealousy and their hatred. When he told them about his dreams, he said, I had a dream that I was standing up as as, as a stalk and all the other stalks were bowing down to me. And they said, we will never, we will never bow down to anybody. How dare you say that? why would we bow down to our baby brother that they were so emphatic about this that they plotted to kill him that that they that they sold him into slavery and here before jesus this this unexpected human who came to earth you know god in human flesh comes to earth in this quiet way, in this faraway village, right? In Geraldine, Alabama, or <laughs> something like that, where you would never expect that these, these 12 are falling down before him in worship, bowing. Think about the 12 disciples. When jesus was on earth when jesus was on earth he was talking to them and telling them and they said which one of us is the greatest we want to sit at your right hand and at your left we want power and acclaim we want people to look at us and now what do they have they have that they have thrones they have crowns they have glory but their priorities are changed And they take those thrones, they they get up off those thrones, they take those crowns off their heads, and they fall down before the one who is truly worthy of worship. If there's hope for the 12 jealous sons of Jacob, if there's hope for the 12 boneheaded, scoundrel disciples of Jesus, maybe there's hope for us for me for my priorities to be changed for me to look at the one who is truly glorious and recognize how far i fall short but not only that not only the confession but the assurance of pardon that he is the one who gives us crowns he is the one who gives us thrones he is the one who makes us priests and uh, in, in a kingdom rulers for his namesake that he chooses the ones who are broken by sin and he makes us right and brings us into the worship of himself for all eternity that's what we do on a sunday morning that's what we gather together to do it's to realize what is the true reality with all the things that are on the news headlines and all the things that we face, what's really, really true, truly going on. And what's truly going on is that Jesus is worshiped right now. And that that is unceasing. It is not like sometimes that happens. It doesn't happen on a Sunday morning. It is happening all the time, whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, And that as much as I want things for myself, and as much as I want people to think well of me, that my priorities are changed when I come to this place, when I behold the lamb who is slain, when I behold the glorious one on the throne, that I realize that he is deserving of all praise. And even though I don't deserve anything, He gives me everything freely because of His goodness. Let's pray together. Father, even after thinking and dwelling on this, it still kind of feels so distant. It can still feel so esoteric and, and intangible I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts to know how real and unceasing and priority-changing worship is and what a gift it is to be ushered into your presence by you yourself because you are the only one who can usher us in you're the only one who can extend us the invitation to come up and to behold your glory and you do always every day i pray that we would hear that call that we would know that that call makes us worthy be with us as we go from here let worship of you change our lives